Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Pramack. On today's show, how election hacking could play into the tech industry's next big IPO and facial recognition software gets banned in San Francisco. But first, America's baby bust. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control recently reported that the U.S. fertility rate hit a record low last year and that the number of births in the U.S. hit their weakest mark in 32 years. Not only does this spell trouble for stroller makers and birthday party clowns, but it also could cause broad economic upheaval as a relatively small U.S. workforce would be required to support a large elderly population. Basically, imagine baby boomer outflows without millennial inflows and then put added life expectancy on top of it. Moreover, this is the sort of thing that can feed on itself, with younger Americans essentially required to work longer hours, thus making it less likely they'll have kids. Basically, we could turn into Japan, particularly if there's no political will to raise our levels of immigration. The bottom line here is that elected officials always like to talk about our children and our children's children when it comes to things like national debt or climate change or crime. But what we really need to hear more about is how many of our children and our children's children they're really going to be. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios reporter Steph Kite. But first, this. Axios chief technology correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. We're joined now by Axios reporter Steph Kite. So, Steph, give me the big picture here. Why are American birth rates falling so rapidly? So it's interesting because when we hear that fertility rates are falling, that birth rates are falling, a lot of times we think of the negative consequences of those things. The fact that we would have a smaller workforce in the future and a larger elderly population. But it's important to keep in mind that the reason we're seeing this is a lot due to really important progress we've made. There's been a falling number of teenage pregnancies. There's been more education and empowerment of women. Birth control is more accessible. There's lower child mortality rates. So all of these really good things are contributing to this trend. I'm looking at this uh, chart you published today at Axios, and it's fascinating. It's this percentage chart, the fertility rate chart that we're now kind of at this record low. And it shows that birth rates spiked high in 1990 and 2008 both of which were pretty lousy times economically, but it seems to go down when the economy is strong. And we've had a strong economy for the last decade, and this line keeps going down. Is there a relationship between the two? In other words, good economy, low birth rate? There is some correlation, of course. When there's more jobs out there, and especially as women are more likely to be working, that has been a factor, that women are more likely to be working, they're more likely to be focused on their career, they're going to be delaying, they have been delaying their childbearing years, and having fewer years they're really dedicated to just having kids and focused on raising children. Just the social trends that we've seen over the past few years has contributed to that. And when there is a good economy, it's more likely that women in particular are going to be focused on their jobs. And the demographics seem to show that that if a woman delays having their first kid, they are likely to have fewer children, say, than if they have their first kid in their early 20s. Exactly. When women are delaying the start, having their first kid, they tend to have fewer kids for many reasons. Of course, there's the biological clock where pregnancies in older women tend to be more dangerous. And so they tend to not have as many as they get older. You talked at the beginning of this about kind of the economic concerns. And obviously, if we have a smaller kind of younger workforce and more older people that they're caring for, that's not really economically sustainable, right? Or or at least kind of puts everything we've done historically upside down. It's kind of like what we have now with the baby boomer generation, but worse. 
Exactly. And that's what a lot of demographers and economists are worried about when they look at the long-term implications of these trends. And there is one thing that's really important in the U.S. in particular, and that's the fact that we have consistently had high levels of immigration. And immigrants are really going to help fill those gaps, really help boost the economy as we see the working population shrink and the elderly and retired population grow in the U.S. And it's one of the reasons why the U.S. is really in a better place than a lot of other nations who have these quickly falling fertility rates like Japan or Hungary. Most demographers that I've spoken with have said, yeah, the U.S., it's bad, but honestly, it's a lot better than it could be because we have such consistent immigration. We are constantly having a policy talk about immigration and, and not just illegal immigration, but legal immigration too. There doesn't seem to be, and, and tell me I'm wrong here, you're in D.C., I'm up in Boston, tell me I'm wrong here. There doesn't seem to be a huge amount of active discussion about significantly raising immigration caps at a time when, you know, new native-born Americans are falling. Yeah, this is a conversation that I very rarely have. I have been hearing it more with different immigration activists that I've spoken to. They've really looked at this trend and tried to use it to advocate for more immigration. It is something that is talked about. It's starting to be talked about. But you're right. It's not something that's at the forefront of the conversations, especially in D.C. And what's interesting is when we see these trends, there's often a link to a rise in populism. And we've seen in a couple different nations that happen to have these falling fertility rates that we have also seen this rise in anti-immigrant sentiment and populism. You talked about a lot of kind of the, say, uh, society positive factors that have led to this decline. Let me ask the flip side, though, which is obviously we read and we talk constantly about particularly millennials in terms of debt, particularly student debt and kind of the, the financial pressures they are under, you know, still living at home, can't afford a car, can't afford a house, et cetera. Do we have a sense how much those financial concerns are playing in here now? Because babies are expensive. Yeah, this is something I've talked a lot about with various demographers who I've spoken to on my coverage of these issues. And that is certainly a factor. But most demographers say it's not as much of a factor as we would maybe think. We're sort of seeing the elongation of each stage of life in the U.S. We're seeing teenagers kind of postpone things like driving and getting a job. We're seeing young adults spend longer time single before they settle down and get married. We're seeing the delay of having your first child. And people are living longer. And so there's a sense in which each of these phases that we've grown accustomed to are just being delayed. And so some demographers wonder if we will start seeing the fertility rates come up again once we kind of settle into this new rhythm of life. And so that is one part of this trend. So is it really just a wait and see? And I think about this from a public policy standpoint. Is there anything, and it's a weird thing to say, right? But is there anything that the government can do, in, truly in the national economic interest, to get people to have more kids one thing that many people advocate for is for better parental leave, is to make it easier on parents to have kids and keep jobs, especially when you're looking at cities and places where it's expensive to live. I've spoken to many people who say, yeah, the U.S. needs to ensure that families have parental leave, that there's good maternity leave, to make it easier on parents to both work and provide for their family and also be able to provide the care at home that's needed. Steph Kite, be sure to check out her piece on Axios.com today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. My final two right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. 
Now it's time for my final two. And first up is CrowdStrike, a Silicon Valley cybersecurity company that yesterday filed for its initial public offering. So if that name sounds familiar, that's probably because CrowdStrike was in the news a lot for its investigation of the 2016 hack of the Democratic National Committee and for giving hackers nicknames like Fancy Bear and Gothic Panda. And in a little bit of serendipity, the IPO filing came on the exact same day that Florida's governor confirmed that Russian hackers illegally accessed two voter registration databases in 2016, although he insists that no actual votes were compromised. The bottom line here is that no matter how CrowdStrike performs for investors, it's only going to grow in importance to America's political machine as concerns continue to rise over potential foreign interference in 2020. And finally, San Francisco officials yesterday voted in favor of a ban on police and municipal agencies using facial recognition technology. Not only is this the first such move by a major U.S. city, but it could become the model for other cities to follow. The big fear, of course, is intrusive mass surveillance, like what we've been seeing in China. But even more granular, there are critics of facial recognition technology in general, saying it's too inaccurate and is liable to be abused. Also worth noting, one big caveat to San Francisco's new rule, federal law enforcement is exempt which means facial recognition software could still be used, for example, at San Francisco International Airport by the TSA. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great national chocolate chip day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.